When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bradley to inbound the basketball. All eyes are fixed to G. And Pierce, but it comes out high to Green. Bouncing, goes inside, got it at the hard. Crawford driving, left hand. Crawford. Underneath. Jeff Green for Pierce, catch it. Holding, throws to the left corner. Avery Bradley rises into a three, got it. Still shooting the ball, though. Give him credit for that. And finally knocked one down. And now, welcome to the Celtics Beat with Daniel Baker. Good afternoon, everybody, and a happy Easter, if that's what you're celebrating. And to my co-host, Adam, that's Adam, Adam Lowenstein. How you doing? Happy Passover for you. I know, although I don't know how happy per se it is. It's never been one of my favorite holidays. I don't really consider it a holiday. I think it's a religious observance because you can't tell me that, oh, let's not eat bread for a week. What kind of holiday is that? I think it should be festive for it to be called a holiday. And with that, my name is Daniel Baker. I welcome you into the Celtics Beat. It's a new edition of the hottest show to hit the CLNS radio airwaves. Adam, how you doing today? I like that little uh, mini rant there about Passover because <laughs> oh, well, you know I. What do you think about it? I, I my, you know my favorite holiday has always been Festivus, uh, brought on by Seinfeld. <laughs> and that's that's right around the Hanukkah time, Christmas time, holiday time at the end of the year. But Passover always enjoy coming together with the family and everything, and of course a happy Easter to all the uh, you know other people who are listening to the show, basically the non-Jews who you know, happen to be t- tuning in tonight. And you know it's a lot of fun to be talking about the Celtics, who really could get their first. They could, I'm sorry, could taste the playoffs after a win tonight, which would clinch the playoff spot for them for the sixth consecutive year every single year since Kevin Garnett has come to town. And that would be fairly impressive for this team to do that with about ten, nine, nine games left. That would be very impressive to, to, to clinch it from what we've seen this season. I know you have to take into consideration how really poor the Eastern Conference is, and that makes it a little less impressive. I mean, the Bucks are still in the playoff picture, even though, well, they're below 500. So take up from that what you will. But the fact is that from all the injuries and what this team has really come back from, I mean, at one point in the season, they were 20 and 23, three games under 500 back on January 25th. And they've just really turned things around. It's nice to see because the Celtics team had high hopes coming into the season. And as you alluded to, all these injuries have really hindered the Celtics' chances at you know, making a Atlantic Division title happen. 
But really being able to push through, even with the Kevin Garnett injury now, they've been able to sneak through a few victories. That win on, against Atlanta on Friday, definitely an impressive victory, You know, especially after looking so horrible against the Knicks on Tuesday. And then Jeff Green having that fantastic. And I, you know, none of us really would have thought at the, in that game you would have said Jeff Green would have a game winner again on another comeback victory. We might have another Mr. Clutch on our hands. I don't know about you, but, I mean, this whole season I've been saying, well, Jeff Green, he's basically the X factor because he's a guy like Paul Pierce who's a mismatch for so many different positions. He can play multiple positions. I mean, essentially two through four with ease. And if in crazy lineups, I guess theoretically he could play to five depending on uh, what, what the lineup in front of him. But Jeff Green... A couple game winners this season for the Celtics. Not only did the Celtics have like the heir apparent to Paul Pierce and, and all he can do on the wing, but they have a new Mr. Clutch. It's great to have someone else that the Celtics can look to to put the ball in the hoop when they really need it. With Kevin Garnett out, and you know Avery Bradley's been struggling with the shot. Jason Terry's hasn't found that consistency. You know he's definitely out there to have that outside shot. But Jeff Green can take it to the hoop. And every single time I feel like every single time that on Celtics beat, I want to compare it with Jeff Green to LeBron James. And I'm going to do it again. A poor man's LeBron James because he can wind up. Basically, he can take a few steps back. Then find his way past the defender, and then get to the hoop just like he did to get that game winner once again. The other game winner was off of a pass. This one really showed that drive to the hoop, being able to knife uh, knife through quite quite a few uh, Cavaliers there. and It was an impressive way to finish a game. I'm going to go a little step further. I don't think he's necessarily a poor man. I think that is maybe diminishing what Jeff Green can do. I wouldn't go so far as to say poor. I think it's definitely not 100 obviously not on par or – Maybe not in his, uh, I don't know, atmosphere, but he's within the stratosphere at least. I mean, 75%? He's close. He is close. And that was not more evident than in the game against the Heat, most recently at the Garden, when Green went almost shot for shot, theoretically, with LeBron James. He was a high scorer in that game, career high, 43 points. We all saw what he could do. Yes, LeBron James had the overall game that kind of puts him over the top, obviously. I mean, he. He is the best player in basketball, no question. But what we saw from Jeff Green, that was all-star material. Yeah. And uh, he, he he is in the conversation. We know he has the talent, the potential, all that. But he really put it to – he put that on display the other night against the Heat. And what's really great about that, or just with the numbers, yeah, he's not going to have 10 assists and 10 rebounds every single game like LeBron – tends to do always that triple double threat but he does he's not asked to do that on this team because and something that we talked about on the post game show after the win over Atlanta they have a guy a point forward on the Celtics already the guy who he's kind of going to replace theoretically down down a couple years later in Paul Pierce and Pierce against Atlanta in the 118-107 victory his third triple double of the season and to be clear that's all since Ronda went down it's the first time in Paul Pierce's career that he's had three triple-doubles in one season. So it's really nice to see that Paul Pierce has come together, been able to step up with Rajon Rondo going out. And I saw Elias putting out a stat that Rajon Rondo and Paul Pierce are the first two teammates in about 20, I think 20 or 30 years since the Rockets in the mid-90s. It's amazing. So that's about 30 years. since I'm sorry, about 20 years since we've had two teammates of the same team combined for at least eight uh, combined, I'm sorry, have th- at least three triple-doubles 
uh, each in the same season. So really cool. I kind of mangled that up there. So at least three triple-doubles from two players on the same team in the same season. So really cool that the Celtics were able to do that. But it's kind of funny that they've done it in two different phases. Mm-hmm. So really, Paul Pierce stepping up. And I wanted to add one more thing about Jeff Green. You were talking about his heat performance. I want to even talk about his performance against Atlanta. Stepping up, being aggressive. I think he made only three of his first ten attempts from the field, but then kept shooting, kept scoring, ended up with 20 shot attempts from the field. I'm pretty sure he made 11 of them. He did. And then it was a great performance by him because that is is the second most field goal attempts that he's had this season. The first most was the 21 against the Heat. He made 14 that night. So really impressive that he was able to stay aggressive even after a bad start because the Celtics really need him. And and it's funny you mentioned the word aggressive because every time either you or me or really anyone talks about Jeff Green and how well he he did after a game or any sort of performance, the first word out of their mouth is aggressive. He was aggressive. He he showed a lot of aggression out there on the court. He was really taking it to the hole and really being aggressive, 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 aggressive. B e a g g r e s s i v e. Uh, from my days, uh, my days in Marcher Van, I was around the cheerleaders, of course, at uh, the football game, so I know how to spell aggressive. But anyway, the point being, Jeff Green can be that all-star player when he's aggressive. It's all mental. It, I, I think it's really all mental. I think physically he, he's there. He's all the way back from recovering from the heart surgery, and now it's 100% mental. And it's how do you get a guy who maybe isn't like that off the court all the time to be that way on the court all the time? Because to be honest, especially as we're getting close to the playoffs, for the Celtics to go anywhere, he's going to have to be that guy night in and night out. Yeah, it's it's great that he was able to step up because without Garnett, that's a huge drop-off in point production from your front court. Then, when you have Jeff Green stepping up, it's going to be a different situation because Green isn't the rebounding um, help that Garnett is. You know, Shavik Randolph, will go to, we'll talk about him a little later, but Randolph was able to step in and help out a little bit with you know that rebounding that Jeff Green isn't going to be able to do when Garnett is out, but Green has been able to supply the scoring, which is much needed. Thank you for all our listeners who are turning in live. And if you are, you can head over to the Celtics blog chat room if you would like. Myself and Thirsty Boots is over there. Uh, always, She's always in there after post-game shows, and they're happy enough. Uh, they're, they're for- we're fortunate enough for them to put us in there and really – help expand our show because I've been having a blast the past few weeks and on Twitter you can follow us at Celtics underscore B another guy to follow is at Seth underscore Rosenthal I say his name because he writes for the SB Nation blog about the New York Knicks and he's going to be our guest in about six or seven minutes or so Seth Rosenthal really fantastic writer covers the Knicks and because the game is in just over an hour, we're going to preview that game with Mr. Rosenthal, and it's going to be just a joy to talk to him. Celtics, Knicks, isn't that everyone's one of their favorite playoff matchups from the past few years, at least from the Celtics' point of view, because it's really been kind of a wash. Um, Absolutely. And we're going to see, because it's not going to be too much of a wash, because right now the Knicks are riding the longest winning streak in the NBA. It's at seven games in a row. They're looking to make it eight tonight at Madison Square Garden. They already beat the Celtics earlier this week. We touched on that a little bit earlier. We'll get back to that with Seth, and we'll get back to that in the second, the third part of our show. But now, speaking of winning streaks, we have to mention the Miami Heat, who just 
finished the second longest winning streak in the NBA of all time. 27 games in a row. That was stopped earlier this week against the Chicago Bulls. And what a streak it was. 27 games. Before the streak started, they were just percentage points above the Knicks in the playoff standings. When it ended, they were 11 clear. Yeah, it's amazing what the Heat did. Even more impressive, I'd say, that the Bulls, without Bellinelli, without Noah, without Rose, without Rip Hamilton, were able to take down this Heat team that was firing on all cylinders. We had seen a lot of frustrating performances from the Heat as far as their first halves the past week or two before that loss to this, the Bulls at the United Center on Wednesday night. But that streak will go down in record books as one of the best of all time. It's the second best to that Lakers one in the 70s, early 70s. I just was amazed by how they could continue to come back near the end of that streak against the likes of the Celtics. And then, of course, they did it against the Cavaliers, which was really interesting to see that uh, when Cle- uh, when LeBron went back to his hometown in that little reunion. And that was just floor. so cruel, that loss, anyway. <laughs> they had <laughs> such a big yeah. lead, and then for it just to dwindle slowly and painfully. But, I mean, come on, it's Cleveland. Did you expect anything else? It's <laughs> a, a good point because the Celtics were able to pull off that 21 to 6 run in the fourth quarter to do the same thing to the to the uh, Cavaliers team in Cleveland in front of their fans, and you know no Kyrie Irving in each either of those games, so that may be one of the reasons why they weren't able to close it out. But each of those, both the Celtics and the Heat were able to go in and get those big victories or victories that would have looked a little embarrassing if they weren't able to pull them off. Well, I want to expand on what you said about the Heat. I, I agree. I think the streak was incredibly impressive. Uh, whatever you want to say, 27 games. No one's ever done that except one team in the history of basketball, and that's arguably one of the best teams of all time. So it's incredibly impressive. And I think, in fact, losing by now – at this stage, that'll help them in the long run. To be honest, they don't have to worry about that. I don't. I mean, they they were talking about it. They always said, "Oh, it's one game at a time." We're not thinking about the streak. BS. Everyone's thinking about it. Everyone knows about it. To some extent, you have to be thinking about it. But the fact that it's already done, ten games before the playoffs, they can focus on getting healthy and not just getting healthy. They need to keep winning. They're not going to take the 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 foot off the pedal, so to speak, because they have the Spurs and the Thunder on their heels for the number one overall uh, seed in the postseason looking forward to the NBA Finals. And tonight we might even get a NBA Finals preview between the Spurs and the Heat. It might be It'll less be than advertised preview, because really. of injuries. I, I know that, and I'm going to throw that to you in a second. But still, it really could be because we saw a Spurs team against the Heat earlier this season, sitting all of their stars, even when they're healthy. Uh, Greg Popovich tends to do that, and I have no problem with that. And it Spurs Heat tonight really could be a preview of the finals, but Manu, it looks like could be out. Adam, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, he's out for a few weeks now, looks like. It's not the best situation for this Spurs team. It's a hamstring injury, and it's closer to weeks, not days Um, I'm just seeing off of Twitter recently. It's not going to help this Spurs team if they're not fully healthy. They're going to need their full core in order to have a chance in the playoffs or at least a chance to make it to the finals, let alone be able to win the finals. So without Manu Ginobili, who is arguably the best sixth man we've seen in decades for any team in in the NBA, Greg Popovich is going to need him in order to allow them to have a chance, because Duncan is playing amazing for his age and amazing for anybody, really, in the NBA. And Tony Parker, you would have alluded to before, an MVP candidate. His defense isn't up to what LeBron does, but really an MVP candidate, and he's really controlling that offense very well. And I'm going to put this in my weekly power rankings for tomorrow, 
But really, Tim Duncan, we kind of, when he has these big games, we're like, oh, it's vintage Tim Duncan. Is <laughs> yeah. it really vintage, though? Because Ooh. vintage is like, well, there was a break in between. You used to do that. He's been doing this his whole career. I don't think it's vintage. This is just Tim Duncan. And people were just expecting this fall off and this decline, and we're not seeing it. Past two games, 57 points, 25 rebounds, 7 blocks. This guy is a beast, and I'm so excited to see what they can do in the playoffs. And with that, we're going to start to head to break because we have a potential playoff preview between the Celtics and the Knicks. That game is tipping off in about 75 minutes. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Seth Rosenthal of Boston and Toastin, SB Nation Block for the New York Knicks. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Celtics Hey, Mike Faye from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of CelticsTown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celticstown, King of the Court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy Heinsohn proud because I know he loves that style of play. Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Chamberlain hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're going to hate LeBron James for the next seven years and you've already hated him for five years. Tune in for the block party with CLNS Lock Career reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to yeah. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to ELNS Radio. What's new at CLNSRadio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube postgame show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22828 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. 
We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at clnsradio.com. clnsradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Celtics Beat. My name is Daniel Baker. I'm alongside Stats Adam from CLNS Radio. And right now, we're happy to be joined by Seth Rosenthal. He is the editor of Postin' and Toastin', the New York Knicks blog for SB Nation. Because we got the Celtics, we got the Knicks. They're playing each other tonight in Madison Square Garden. I thought it would be great to get the perspective from the Knickerbockers. And with that... Well, welcome, Seth. In thanks so much for joining us on this Easter or Passover, whichever one you're celebrating. How are you doing this Sunday afternoon? I'm great. Thanks very much for having me. No problem. And I just want to talk, get right into this Knicks team, who seven games in a row right now they've won, and really it might be some of their best basketball that they've played since the beginning of the season. This is a lot without Tyson Chandler. How are they doing it right now? Uh, well, it's 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 a lot like what we saw from the Knicks in November. Um, they're they're getting they're playing two point guards and and getting um, good shooting out of pretty much their entire backcourt. The defense is is not terrific, but it's it's adequate, which is about what it was back in November. But basically, Carmelo Anthony's healthy and he's he's you know moving the ball out of the post. Guys are hitting threes around that, and Knicks are limiting their turnovers, the rebounding pretty well, and they're 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 hoarding possession essentially um, by by you know winning the rebound battles and the turnover battle and and hitting their shots and and you know the the thing the main thing that separates this this chunk of season from the November chunk of season is that J.R. Smith has been absolutely terrific. That's that's the main difference. But um, yeah, they're playing really sharp. And J.R. Smith, and this is Stats Adam here, just talking about J.R. Smith being a reliable number two option for this team. You know, Amare was supposed to be that number two. He's now injured, and we don't know what's going on with his return. But the Knicks now have two of the top four scorers in the last ten games. That's Melo and J.R. And J.R. is now the first player in, what, since 1990 to go three consecutive games off the bench with 30 points each. What do you have to say about Jr. and how he will affect this team going forward, especially if Tyson Chandler's uh, status is up in the air? I mean, Jr. has been the number one option the last couple wow. of days for, for the last few games. You know, Melo Melo tends to get more shot attempts, but when they're both on the court, it's it's stuff's generally you know it's either starting with Melo out of the post or it's starting with Jr. off the dribble. Um, and you know, he's had some really great stretches before in his career, but this is objectively better than those. Even even earlier this season, even during his Knicks career, he'll go on, you know, streaks where he starts hitting a ton of jumpers. He's got, you know, really got that step back going. He's shooting more off the catch, getting threes to fall. And it's like, man, if he could keep doing this, he would really be, a you know, a top-notch shooting guard. This is different. He's getting to the basket. He's really just constantly making an effort to take people off the dribble, to use the pick to, to get to the basket, and you know, if not to get to the rim or draw a foul, then to then to kick out and create for others. That's a, that's a big part of the, the way the Knicks have been shooting recently. Is that he, when he's out there, is a lot like a second or third point guard. So 
you know, it's the kind of thing you, it, it could end. Of course, you know, it will end. He won't play this great forever, but it's like it's not it's not a stroke of luck. He's not just hot. He's making more of an effort. He's focusing more on getting to the basket. And you look at it, and it's like, you know, this kind of thing, if if he wanted to, he could replicate this constantly for the rest of his career. It's just he, he has a knack for getting in the basket, doesn't have a great first step, isn't a terrific ball handler, but he's strong enough and has good enough footwork off the dribble that he just knows how to get people in the air and he knows how to find a, find a slot to finish around the rim. And it's, it's been awesome. It's been, you know, the key to this win streak. And if you don't know... Well, now you're going to know. The past three games for J.R. Smith, 32, three games ago against Boston, followed that up. The next night, a win against Memphis, 35 points, and then most recently a win at home on Friday night, 37 points against Charlotte. What I love about that game and what I really liked about his game against the Celtics on Tuesday night, against Charlotte, 12 of 18 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3. Against the Celtics, yeah. 13 of 24 from the field, just 1 of one of three from beyond the arc. When he's not jacking threes, I think he can be a very good. He can be one of the top shooting guards in the league. And I know you mentioned that he's taking it to the hole. He might not have the fastest first step or all these other accolades that we throw around for these players, but he just has a way to score. He knows how to score, and it's that that's worth a lot in, in, in the league because you can do a lot worse than someone who's going to give you that kind of ability that he can hit almost any shot, but being able to score 30-plus points coming off the bench, how many times do you have that? Uh, We just found out he's the first player with three consecutive games of at least 30 points off the bench since Ricky Pierce back in 1990. That's from Elias Sports. So this guy, are we going to see him starting possibly? No, I I think he'll stay on the bench. I mean, the thing is he plays starters minutes. He's playing 35 to 40 minutes a night, but – uh, Mike Woodson's really set on on keeping him on the bench. Just he likes he likes the rotation starting with two really pure point guards, um, and then he likes he likes Jr. coming in you know midway through the first quarter. He ends up playing most of the game anyway, but but that's you know Woodson's weird about that. He was like that with Amari Stoudemire too. It's just one of his idiosyncrasies. Yeah, we we definitely saw that. I mean, with the Celtics, even though Jeff Green wasn't starting until now, really because of necessity with KG being out for a few games. It doesn't matter they wasn't starting because he was playing starters minutes. And at the end of the day, that matters. And whoever's closing kind of matters. There's one guy who, who we want to talk about next and already kind of mentioned his name. And he's definitely the closer for the next, Carmelo Anthony. Now, earlier this season, there's an article in Sports Illustrated. I believe it was by Chris Mannix. And it just really talk, or is it Chris Mannix or Chris Ballard? And they're talking about really the evolution of Carmelo Anthony on and off the court. And... It was really an interesting take that can he be a number one guy on a championship team? We all know his ability to score. Can he raise the level of play of his teammates up? And the numbers don't always support that. I mean, we've seen Kobe go on these streaks where he's just trying to rack up assists. But still, he kind of goes after that. Carmelo Anthony seems very set. And his offense seems to work on Carmelo Anthony scoring and just being really doggone good at scoring. How far can he carry this team? You know, we we, we just have to wait and see. I'm not one of the I, I don't look at a player while he's playing and say, you know, either this guy can be a number one option for, for a championship team or no he can't. Anyone can be if if the circumstances right. You know, people said that about Dirk Whiskey for a while. I think 
but I think there are there are certainly qualitative differences in the way he's playing this year. He's, he's taking the ball down more in the post. He's, he's passing, I think, more readily out of the post. And you know, even though he's not getting assists, he just starts a lot of the offense. The ball swings around the weak side from him in the post because he has to draw a double team. And he's doing that all as as the power forward, so it creates a lot of mismatches and cross matching, and his teams have to double him and all this. And he's stuck with it. You know, it's not it's not something that lasted for just a week or two or for a month. He's he's been solidly doing that. And you know, have his stretches where he, he shoots a bit too much and mm-hmm. falls in love with jumpers and whatnot. But he's he's stayed with it. And above all that, he's healthy. He's you know he's had big injuries throughout the season, but nothing that's really lingered and caused him trouble the way um, his elbow injury and his wrist injury and his knee issues, you know, post-surgery last year after the lockout did. So uh, I, I think the fact that he's just healthy uh, has a lot a lot to do with it, but um, he does seem, I don't know if he's more mature. I can't speak for, you know, I don't, I don't know the guy, but yeah. he, he just seems to be sticking more solidly with the game plan this season besides just being healthy. And, you know, health has been something interesting to talk about this next team this season. Obviously, yeah. Rasheed Wallace going down. Raymond Felton had the injury earlier this season, I'm pretty sure, to his finger. And that really affected, you know, the Knicks. They really took, they went that tailspin, I think, when Felton went down. So, really, the return of Raymond Felton and how he's impacted this team, would you say that he's one of the key factors for their resurgence? I understand J.R. Smith has been this, the reason for this streak, but has Felton been a great mainstay and point guard for this team? It's it's hard to tell you know when they were when they were playing poorly without him that's how it felt, and then they went ahead and played poorly with him too. So you know they had some of their worst games with Felton perfectly healthy. So it's it's hard to say. I think a lot of it is just having two point guards. Um, when Felton's hurt, Jason Kidd has to play bigger minutes, and Kidd playing big minutes really really sunk his productivity. When he was playing 35 minutes a night, he I don't know if his back was acting up or whatever, but he he stopped hitting shots. And Pablo Prigioni's minutes have fluctuated, so so it just puts pressure on different guys. And I think the the domino effect, the cascade of role changes when Felton's out, um, really ruins things. So I, you know, he's not having a terrific season. He's having a very he's having a Raymond Felton season. He's doing his thing. He's hitting you know an okay number of jump shots, getting to the basket somewhat, playing mediocre defense. He's he's. Not having a sensational year, but I think his his presence allows the Knicks to way allows the Knicks to work the way they work best, and so I think he's definitely a key cog. But it's not like he's irreplaceable. You know, it's just sort of his spot needs to be filled by someone, and so it might as well be him. We all know about the the age of this Knicks team, out of the oldest roster in the NBA, and one of those guys he, you just briefly touched on him with Jason Kidd. What what have you seen really the difference in this team between last year and this year? What, what do you think? And I know you're not really right there in the locker room with all the guys, but like with, with Jason Kidd, the the veteran leadership that that brings. How much do you think that has really helped everyone on this team? Guys like him, bring in a guy like Rasheed Wallace. Heck, even Kenyon Martin has a lot, a lot of years on, and yeah. I thought that was a really good mid midseason pickup. Well, you know, I was just talking about how Carmelo Anthony, for whatever reason, is sort of sticking more with the game plan and not not hijacking the way the Knicks run their offense. And, I, yeah, like you said, I'm not in the locker room, but it seems like someone like Jason Kidd, someone like Rasheed Wallace or Kenyon Martin, although Martin I think of as more of a defensive influence, 
those people matter. You know, Jason Kidd isn't the coach, but he he, he has Carmelo Anthony's respect, and he you know almost has more say about what goes on in the offense than than Melo does, even though he's not sort of the the leader in the in the producing sense. And so I think I was I was skeptical about this around the time it happened, but it sort of makes sense that to have these these sort of uh, these saints of the NBA, these like guys that that all the other players revere on the team, and you know who can really, um, you know, bring Mike Woodson's game plan onto the court with them, and make sure everyone's staying in line. I think it matters, and I think Jason Kidd is someone that just everyone on the team looks up to, and he he's he's like another coach on the floor, as they say. And so I think I think Martin defensively, you know, recently, and Kidd on offense. Have have a lot to do with the team, you know, sticking to its guns and not not going ISO, not just sort of falling apart and and you know staying with the stuff that that keeps them playing well. Um, and so you know the, the Knicks the Knicks have an identity this year, and I think the, the veterans have a lot to do with that. And talking about Kenyon, you know, you're jumping in with Kenyon Martin there. I wanted to talk about him replacing you know Tyson Chandler for the time being. And with Tyson Chandler confirmed out tonight, and we really you know it's it's up in the air what's going on with him going forward. And his impact on the defense is very impressive. Going into Tuesday's night Tuesday night game against the Celtics, the Knicks were 5.3 points worse per 100 possessions without Tyson on the floor. Now they've actually brought that all the way down to four points worse. So they've increased by 1.3 in just those three games since. Um, the last Celtics game. So what can you say about, really, is Tyson Chandler the key to this team being able to go forward in the playoffs because they, he makes them more consistent? Because I understand that Kenny Martin's done so much for them so far, but isn't Kenny Martin going to be more of their bench guy to help them you know, during you know, the end of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, just to help them out when they need those bench minutes? But is Tyson Chandler the guy they really need to at least have a chance of going forward? Oh, definitely. I mean, the Knicks... First of all, you know, Kenyon Martin has been terrific. I think Kenyon Martin's last week or two, or however, you know, how long it's been since he started, I guess three weeks or so since he started getting regular minutes, they have looked better at the very least than than Chandler's minutes. You know, obviously that's a much bigger sample, but he's, he's I think, done a, a decent job of impersonating Tyson Chandler, if not a better job. Wow. Um, in the last few weeks. And that's not Tyson Chandler is the key cog to the next defense, but he's been having a little bit of a down year. Um, that said, I think Chandler, you know, A, bears way more responsibility than anyone should have to, even the defensive player of the year, because the Knicks have terrible perimeter defense. And just <laughs> are pretty much asking him to guard two or three people. I think that's putting it lightly. <laughs> Yeah, it's, the, the Knicks are awful perimeter defense. I mean, they've been better recently, um, in part because Martin's a little bit more mobile of a player. You know, he can sort of guard a point guard out in the perimeter, and not he's just a, he's just a little a little uh, better moves a little better uh, away from the away from the paint than Chandler does. But ideally, I mean, both of them would be great because Martin Martin gets in foul trouble. Chandler's a little more a little more cautious and a little less likely to just like attack someone when they're driving to the rim. And so the Knicks really, I mean, I, I think Martin will move back to the bench as soon as Chandler's back. You know, Mar- uh, Mello's mm-hmm. not going to move down to the three unless the Knicks draw, like, the Pacers uh, in, a, in a matchup, in a, a series matchup. But I think they, Chandler and Martin, would, would see a lot of minutes together. And at the very least, you know, you could have one of them on the floor and not feel totally sunk defensively. Um, because there were, there were times, 
you know, pre-Martin when Chandler was still healthy when, you know, Chandler picked up his third foul and they needed to sub in and the the, the front court was like Amari Stoudemire and Steve Novak or Amari Stoudemire and Mello and that just, you, you can't protect the rim that way. And the Knicks don't have any any arrangement of perimeter defenders that allows them to be that soft on the interior. So having Martin, having Marcus Canby hopefully healthy and, and you know, playing productive minutes as well means that the Knicks, you know, should never be that that terrible on the interior defense and <laughs> sort of allows, I think, allows Chandler to be more aggressive because he knows that, you know, if he picks up whatever, a third or fourth foul, the Knicks won't be completely dead without him. And so I think I think having that safety net helps, helps everyone and, you know, will allow Chandler to play more like himself. And looking forward to this playoff picture, and we're only about 10 games away or so for everybody, you met... You talked about Indiana, and I think their front court is just very good. I mean, Chicago has a good front court. Atlanta, when they're healthy, you got to worry about Al Horford and also Josh Smith together. Even Brooklyn, you got Brooke Lopez, Reggie Evans. There's a lot of good front court teams, but a couple teams that really don't have uh, much of a post presence, even offensively or, I mean, defensively, so to speak. Boston's one of them, obviously Milwaukee, but Boston and Miami. Boston, the team that New York has faced many a time in the playoffs, and especially of late, and Miami, really that team everybody's gunning for. Uh, I've always thought it was interesting how well New York does match up with Miami on the court, uh, especially when healthy, obviously, when you throw Tyson Chandler in there. But looking forward... What do you think the best seed would be for the Knicks? For best case scenario, what's their first round matchup? Who are they looking at? Are they w- waiting till to get Miami until the conference finals? Well, I mean, I, the Heat are the Heat, no matter how well the Knicks match up with them. And I do think that whether or not the Knicks have a legitimate shot of beating the Heat in this series, I think the Knicks just stack up, you know, well enough against the Heat. Just, they stack up against the Heat better than maybe all the other teams in the East. You know, maybe Indiana has a better shot. I don't know. But yeah. the Knicks, I think, do match up okay with Miami, you know, relatively speaking. Um, but I think I think what makes them have a shot against Miami and some of the other teams is that Miami doesn't have a really great attacking point guard. Um, the, the You know, the guys who are running the top of the pick and roll are the ones who kill the Knicks. Like I said, it's, it, it's the perimeter defense is the problem and then that draws Tyson Chandler away from the rim or draws Kenyon Martin away from the rim or whoever. And so it's, it's been guards that kill the Knicks all year, um, you know, even even though it's the front court that's had the injuries. And so a team like Miami has Mario Chalmers as its point guard, and he's not really going to kill you in the pick and roll. And, you know, the Knicks have at least people who can try to defend LeBron James. And so a team like Atlanta, for instance, has Jeff Teague, and Jeff Teague, First of all, was dominant in the playoffs last year, as you know, you guys know. And, yeah. and second of all, um, kills the Knicks, just torches the Knicks. You know, he can hit a jumper, he can get to the rim. And then I look at teams like Milwaukee with Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis. So pretty much every and, and then the Celtics are scary because they're just the Celtics, and I think Knicks fans are now habitually terrified of the Celtics. So <laughs> I don't feel te- I don't feel terribly comfortable about any of the potential first round matchups, but. I mean, I think the Knicks really, you know, want to hold on to that second seed. Um, they have a pretty tough schedule going forward, so even falling down to fourth is, is not totally out of the question. But um, I think avoiding Chicago is, is the big one right now because Chicago, among those other teams, Knicks 
not only haven't beaten Chicago this year, they've been destroyed by Chicago this year. Um, and, you know, even though they're shorthanded, the Bulls just, like, really know how to ice the next pick and roll and and move the ball well enough to punish the Knicks for, for all the switching and doubling they do defensively. So mm-hmm. I think I think the Bulls are the one team the Knicks are really, really trying to avoid. Uh, and who knows, yeah. maybe by the time the playoffs roll around, they'll also have to be worrying about Derrick Rose at the yeah. point, which would be a nightmare for pretty much every single team in the league. Well, we've been talking some of the Celtics Knicks with the editor of Posting and Toasting, the New York Knicks blog on SP Nation with the editor, Seth Rosenthal. You can follow him at Seth underscore Rosenthal. Definitely a good follow. A lot of good stuff on the Knicks and just a really good basketball mind. We got to talk about this game tonight. We talked a lot about the Knicks roster. Adam and I were talking about the Celtics, and we'll be getting into that a little bit later. But looking at tonight, is it going to be eight games in a row? Who's winning, Knicks or Celtics? I, I, you know, the, the way the Knicks beat the Celtics in the last game looked uh, repeatable to me. You know, the Knicks weren't, they didn't shoot well, they didn't play very well, but they, they did what they do when they're not shooting well, which is force turnovers, limit their own turnovers, win the rebounding battle. And, you know, with Kevin Garnett but not back, and with Pierce really being the only, like, certified Nick killer on the floor unless unless you know he's perfectly capable of just exploding at the garden and like nothing the Knicks you know making nothing the Knicks do matter but I just think that the Knicks managed to win that last game pretty handily despite not you know Mello shot terribly Jared Smith wasn't totally in his groove at that point and I, 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 I don't know. I just think they, they won a, a weak enough game that I, I believe, especially because they've picked up offensively since then, that they should have a shot. But like I said, I'm just, you know, universally terrified of the Celtics, no matter what. No matter who's out, <laughs> I never rule the Celtics out of beating the Knicks. So I'm definitely nervous about this one. But if I if I had to pick, I think I would pick the Knicks uh, to win at home. You might be universally terrified of the Celtics, you guys are universally respected for the work you do at SB Nation. We're a partner with uh, Celtics Blog on SB Nation ourselves, and we just really love what you guys do. Uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on on this holiday and talking some basketball with us. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get another Celtics-Knicks matchup maybe in the playoffs that can go six or seven, get a classic on our hands. Indeed. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. No problem. Thank you very much. Always welcome. And that was Seth Rosenthal of Posting and Toasting, the Knicks blog on SB Nation. A really good read for anyone if you just love basketball, as I said before. But that'll do it for this segment. When we come back, Adam and I, we're going to talk some other news around the NBA and tell you what Pat Rally and Danny Age should stop doing. It was... Don't go anywhere. The Celtic Seat returns after this. Hey, it's Coach Kevin from Superfans.com. Superfans shirts. Superfans has Boston's best t-shirts. Uppercase B's for the adults and lowercase B's for the kids. You see our street hustlers at your favorite event or you shop with us at Superfans.com. At Superfans, we're just like you. We take pride in our town and support the best our teams have to offer. Listen to your New England soul. Visit Superfans.com and say hello next time you see us around town. We make Boston's best t-shirts for New England's best fans. 
Superfans. Superfans is a proud sponsor of Dirty Water TV. Mm, nothing like a little ACL event to get to going on a Sunday afternoon. My name is Daniel Baker. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Celtics Beat. It's myself along with Stats Adam. We've been talking Nick Celtics. That game is coming up in about 45 minutes. And after the show, don't forget to stick around for the CLNS Radio post-game show. That's always a blast to listen to. And who knows, the Celtics might get their third win in a row and really start to pick up some steam. Because this is going to be, I think, a critical stretch for the Celtics. A critical in the sense that not any good teams are about to play after the next for the next few games. So a really good way to pick up some wins heading towards the playoffs. But the Knicks, like Seth said, this is some of their best basketball since they've been playing since November when they were looking like one of the top two or three teams in the NBA. Yeah, they went through a stretch there where I think they were 20-21 and 21 after that very strong stretch to start off the season. So you saw, and I think we talked about it with the Raymond Felton injury, where they were terrible to start off after that Raymond Felton injury, and then when he came back, they still had to ease into that. And of course, J.R. Smith has been really good for this team, and now that the Knicks are on a season-best seven-game winning streak. And with the Nets' loss last night, they increased their lead to four games over four and a half games, no, I'm sorry, four games between the Knicks and the Nets for first and second in the Atlantic Division. And this could be the first time in five years, that the Cel- first time in six years, the five years that the Celtics have done it in a row that they've won the Atlantic Division. And the last time the Knicks won the Atlantic Division, 1993-94. Pat Riley was the coach that year. So it's going to be a while, and most likely they'll have their first Atlantic Division crown in a long time. Pat Riley and the Celtics, it really goes together like peanut butter and well something awful <laughs> something awful that's not supposed to go with peanut dirt? butter. I guess we'll go with dirt. <laughs> Pat Riley again in the news this week with the Celtics, talking Celtics and telling Danny Ainge to uh politely please stop talking. <laughs> or impolitely, please stop talking. <laughs> and I, I just think it's really funny, this little banter between Ainge and Riley. First of all, they're both in the front offense, uh, office. Don't know why they're talking. If anything, if you're going to come to the defense of a player or something, it should be your head coach possibly. But really, it's just ridiculous. I don't think anyone really takes it seriously. This whole thing kind of got blown out of proportion. This whole thing after LeBron, he got a couple hard fouls against him. And after the game... He said, yeah, probably those should have been flagrant fouls. And then everyone got up in arms about the fact that, oh, my God, I can't believe LeBron is is saying is complaining in any way, shape, or form about the officiating. I think people need to calm down. I said it on the postgame show a couple nights ago. Really, I'm not sure how much of a basketball play the thing with Heinrich was. But, again, the point was I, LeBron wasn't saying you need to call more fouls against people because – Blah, blah, blah. It's not fair for me. No, he wasn't saying that. I think he was saying that if that foul had happened against anybody but him, it probably would have been a flagrant. They're just, he's just asking for some consistency. I understand that. And I have no problem saying that that Heinrich play when he got both arms around him should have been. I think that's all he was trying to say personally. Ten years, he's really never come out and said anything like this in his career. I think people need to let it go. 
let's remember that this thing was blown out of proportion just because the, the Heat had that huge streak. They were playing in in the United Center in Chicago, and the call benefited the Bulls. A home call against a team that was on fire as far as their winning streak, their their second best in NBA history winning streak. So I think situation uh, had to come up. This situation had to come up in, in such a unique time. I think uh, LeBron, I remember when he bowled over Miguel Mikhail Petrus two seasons ago. In, or was it, oh yeah, I think it was yeah, two seasons ago when um, in, in, in the playoffs. I'm sorry, it was last season. Yeah, last season. And and he talks about how he never fouls out. He didn't. You didn't even hear a peep from him other than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has been more of a, a talking point now. It's something that both of us are, are very, you know, you know, not very interested in because it's not that big of a deal, really. And it comes down to it. And I completely agree with you. There's no real. It's really been blown out of proportion by the media. And if this happened 30 years ago. This wouldn't happen. You know, this would be a completely different situation because it was a different NBA then, and there was less media coverage. So the biggest thing because I, of the whole situation. And, and you, you kind of mentioned it when you were talking, and I really agree with it. Just how if this was maybe in Miami, that call doesn't happen. And I yep. think at the end of the day, it's the inconsistency in the refereeing, though it's consistently inconsistent. <laughs> if, if, you, if you catch my drift. That it's a superstar league. Everyone knows superstars get calls that other players wouldn't. And unfortunately, because of that, it's really hard to kind of look at it objectively, so to speak, and just say, okay, I'm going to get an evenly ref game no matter where I am. There are the, the home calls, so to speak, the superstar calls. And that's what frustrates people saying that, well, if this happened anywhere else, the call would have been different. That shouldn't be the case. It should be the same call no matter where it is, no matter who's doing it, and no matter who it's against. And that's that's all that really matters with that. Moving on from the Heat, looking around the rest of the league, another winning streak got snapped, and it was a team that I think is still legitimately dangerous in the playoffs for the first time maybe uh, since Carmelo left, since Carmelo and Chauncey were there, and that's the Denver Nuggets. They had a 15-game winning streak snapped, and still they're one of only four teams with 50 wins the Denver Nuggets, they had their streak snap, but they're up in third place and really going to avoid that possible 4-5 matchup in the West, which I think we talked about last time I was on the air with you. That yeah. would just It's just a shame that someone's going to have to bow out and someone's that good. I wish they could just trade a couple spots with someone in the Eastern Conference. Well, it's huge that Denver can get into that third spot, and they currently are, have their playoff spot. If they can make it in the top three, because most likely uh, San Antonio and Oklahoma City are going to be the top two, if they can pass the Clippers, stay above the Clippers, stay above Memphis, and face Golden State or Houston in the first round, that's going to be huge for this Denver team. They can actually win in six or even five against one of those teams. The reason why I was on the opposite end of this, as far as um, you know, going against you, as far as having Denver be- being a huge playoff threat, was because if they faced the Clippers or the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round, then it would be a lot tougher for them to surpass them because it's a half-court game. However, when they face Golden State or Houston, it's going to be 120, 130 points points scored each game, it feels like. So I think that in that situation, Denver can really step up and move out of the first round. They've only moved out of the first round once since 2003-2004, and only once in addition in in George Carl's era in Denver. So they're going to need some luck going past the first round. But if they can keep their seeding right now, that's huge for a team that likes to play in the full court in the fast break. The team that did advance past the first round? Their star player, Kamalu Anthony, <laughs> also on the team of note, a Chauncey Chaun- Billups, yeah. a, a veteran point guard who knows how to win. 
a little bit similar to this Knicks team right now. We'll, we'll, we'll see how far they can go, because obviously, and we got to see what they can do with their winning streak right now. It's a bit more open up without Tyson Chandler, and if the Celtics don't have Kevin Garnett, it's going to be a wide-open game on both ends, because the Celtics really struggle more on defense without Kevin Garnett. That's going to happen when the heart and soul and just on paper the best defensive player on your team goes out. Well, courtesy to Avery Bradley as well. Um but yeah, so, so De- Denver playing very well. And they're behind San Antonio, Oklahoma City uh, for the third spot out west. Clippers right behind them, Memphis, then Golden State, Houston. And Utah has fought their way back, winners of four in a row, into the eighth seed over the Lakers, who are back to their struggling ways. I mean, just <laughs> last week, D'Antoni was saying that we say championship out of huddles. It's almost laughable. And the team right now, back into the ninth spot. They're still 18 games back. Same record as Utah, but Utah has that tiebreaker, so they get the edge over that, over the Lakers. Looking at the Eastern Conference, Miami is already wrapped up with 10 games to go. They're the number one seed. Indiana is at number two, a half game above the Knicks, who, again, the Celtics are playing tonight, and we had a great preview with Seth Rosenthal, the editor of the SB Nation New York Knicks blog. If you missed it, go back and listen. It was fantastic. Right behind them, Brooklyn in the fourth spot, they're a game and a half above Atlanta, who's in the fifth spot. The same Atlanta team that Boston just romped at home this past week, 118 to 107. And Paul Pierce had a triple double. Jeff Green led the way with 27 points. Jason Terry had a really good game. He had 24 points and on seven to 10 shooting too. We'll get into that in a second. Continuing down the Eastern Conference, Chicago is in that sixth spot. And again, who knows when Derrick Rose is going to come back? He's been medically cleared to play apparently well, for a couple of back. weeks now. Yeah, if he comes back, if he if he does, do you think it's worth it to, for him to come back and potentially mess up some chemistry on the court? I don't know. It, to, to me, I think if you can get them back, I guess if he's a hundred percent healthy and ready, you take him. He's uh, he was the MVP two years ago. You take him, right? I've been going back and forth on this for the last few weeks because you know we we first heard that he was medically cleared and then you know still not playing because most likely it's mental now for him and he's saying okay well am I supposed to come back especially after coming back last year fighting and clawing his way back from an injury last year and then eventually having the ACL injury in the playoffs in that first round against Philadelphia so does he say okay am I going to have to do this again for my city for again for the Bulls and then not be 100% in my head I still think if he's not 100% you know, mentally, and he's saying, okay, I can't do this, then you can't. Because if anything, the Heat are still much better than this Bulls team. Well, uh, hypothetically, hold on. I, I, hypothetically, it, if Derrick Rose is ready mentally and physically, say there's a couple games left in the regular season, do you throw him in there, see what you have? Because to be honest, it was impressive what the Bulls did ending the Heat streak on their home court. I don't know if they can get any more than one game, and it's going to have to be at home in the playoffs. And, again, when you have a series, that's the issue. It's not just one game. Sure, the Celtics can get a game from the Heat. Can they do it for four? I don't know about that. But if you get Rose and he's 100% ready, do you put him back and try to fit him in with three games, a couple games left, maybe first game of the playoffs, if they have a good enough matchup where they're not playing the Heat? They probably won't play the Heat, so they don't have to worry about that. But do you just throw him into the fire? I don't think so. I just It's a weird situation. Uh, you know, I'm going to compare it to Jeff Green. I'm going to say, okay, Jeff Green played the first half of the season very inconsistently coming off the heart surgery. You know, heart surgery is much different than an ACL, um, you know, than, the in, than a surgery to Derrick Rose. But you still have to recover into playing game shape. No matter what 
medically cleared uh, situation he is in. He's saying he's not mentally ready, and I think that means that he needs a lot more time. And if anything, he needed more than 20 or 15 games to get ready for the playoffs. I think he needs at least 50, at least 30 games, maybe 40 games, and that's why he wants to come back next season. And that's why I would be in that in, in that group and would agree with Rose. And I think that's what he's thinking. So I'm saying no go on Rose. And at the end of the day, it sucks the amount of money that they're paying him to watch him kind of sit on the bench. But to be honest, if he's going to be that good and that prepared coming into next season healthy, I think it's worth it because it's a long run. And honestly, that's just another year, another year older for LeBron and Wade and the Heat because – I don't. Again, even with Rose, we don't know how far that team is gonna go. Another team in the second seed right now who has a pretty good shot. I think the best shot of, of taking down Miami outside of New York in the playoffs is Indiana. And before the show, you mentioned to me that Danny Granger, who only has five games under his belt this season, he'll miss the remainder of the season to undergo surgery on his left knee. So. That he's going to be out, but really, I I don't think that's going to affect Indiana much because just like with Chicago, they played the whole season without Granger already. They know how to win, and of late, they've been playing very well. Seven and three in their last ten. They're seven and one in their past eight games. Winners of four games in a row. Paul George is stepping up his scoring of late. This is a dangerous team, but it's another team that has a superstar, one of their best players, who's out right now, and it's the debate of do you bring him in or do you not bring him in. Yeah, I think, you know what, if anything, they're better without him. Uh, it's, you know, I'm going to say he was playing a role player position. It's not going to affect them going forward. And they have a chance, a chance at being able to beat this Heat team because of their size. They were able to out-rebound the Heat by 11 per game in three meetings that they've had this season. Pacers, 2-1 lead in the series. So that's why it's so big that this Pacers team has their new Granger. If anything, maybe a better Granger in Paul George. Paul oh. George is the future of this team. David West, one of the best isolation offensive players in the league. I think this Pacers chance, Pacers team has a chance in the playoffs. And uh, talking about the Heat a little bit earlier, tonight, Adam, you just told me, mm-hmm. no LeBron, no Wade, no Chalmers <laughs> for the Heat. So, Heat Spurs, a little bit of a luster loss. I, I don't know. I assume with LeBron and Wade, it might be something uh, legitimate. And it's not Spolster saying, you know what, Pop? You did this to us last time. We're going to do this to you this time. Yeah, you got to stay yourself. you got to stay healthy for the playoffs. I think this Heat team needs those three guys. Bosch has been pretty healthy during his tenure in Miami. So, I think they're going to be, okay, let's, let's have Bosch play. But no one else. We're going to keep everybody safe and healthy. And we want LeBron to get rid of those Knicks keep him at 100% or at least in closest to 100% as they can. And Chalmers, you know what? I think uh, Rosenthal said that, you know, it's, you know, they don't have the best point guard, but at least they have a point guard in Mario Chalmers. So <laughs> yeah, Chalmers is going to be helpful to, down the stretch. Yeah. With the heat again, because they don't have this streak going on, they don't, there's no pressure to force LeBron or Wade to play if they're not 100% or, or close with it. At this point in the season, I don't know if anybody's 100%. That's the whole point. Who can win with these conditions, so to speak, with all the wear and tear throughout the long regular season? The Celtics facing off against the Knicks in just over half hour. Make sure to listen to the post-game show right here on CLNS Radio after the game for a couple hours, the Easter edition. It's going to be great. The Celtics playing against the Knicks. Before we get out, Adam, we will get to scores in just about a minute or so. But one guy I think who's been key and he needs to be efficient tonight is Jason Terry. He's a guy, just like Kidd, 
a, a veteran that everyone really respects, and his ability to hit big-time shots is going to be crucial in the playoffs. Yeah, Jason Terry, he tied his uh, his season high with five three-pointers made on Friday against the Hawks. The other game that he did that was in the triple overtime game against the Nuggets. That wasn't a very efficient, efficient game against the Nuggets, 5 of 14 from downtown. He went 5 of 7, I think it was, on Friday night, and that's impressive that he's able to hit that many big threes against a playoff team. I, I know the Hawks aren't the best offensive team, but you've got to go with it. You've got to say this Terry player, this Jason Terry is – the old Jason Terry, you need him out there. He's going to be the, one of their big X-Factors going toward the playoffs. The Celtics look to get their third straight win in a row. It's a streaky team. They just came off five losses in a row before uh, th- this couple games, and we'll see if they can rebound and get a win against the Knicks, who beat them earlier this week. is going to be a key. Mr. Triple-Double now, Paul Pierce, we'll see if he can have another sensational all-around game. Seth said he's one of those Knicks killers, and you really, really got to watch out for him. We had a great show. Terry might be the most efficient score on the Celtics of late. This is the most efficient show on the airways. One hour, we took you all around the NBA, all around the Celtics locker room, injuries, playoff previews, a Knicks-Celtics preview. Final score, Adam, prediction for tonight. 105-102, Shavik Randolph helps the rebounding margin. Ooh, all right. I'm going Knicks 106, Celtics 103. Thanks for listening to the Celtics Beat.